Hello, and welcome to The Long View, a podcast where we explore stories of vocation and formation. And we're your hosts. I'm Tim Baumgartner. And I'm Jane Wassum. And today we are very excited to welcome our friend. Uh, We're honored to have him on our podcast. His name is Sergio Diaz-Ramos, and he is from Chile. He went to Bible College in South Texas, where he met his wife, Denise, and they have three boys. And he graduated from Emmanuel in 2014 with an MDiv in Christian Care and Counseling. He also did CPE here in Johnson City and was a chaplain in Johnson City as well. And then they moved to Chicago, where he worked at New Story Church and is currently now working as a chaplain in emergency services, I think also general at the Children's Hospital, uh, Lurez Children's Hospital. Welcome, Sergio. I'll take that. Thank you. Good to be here. But we're so happy to have you. Um, We're honored that you're on the podcast with us today. Um, We value you and your friendship. We were at Emmanuel at the same time, pretty much, Mm -hmm. or at least crossed over a few years. So, Thank you. It's great to be here. So Sergio, can you give us just a brief rundown of kind of the history of your kind of ministerial and kind of your career in ministry? Yeah, definitely. I normally, when people ask me that questions, I try to um, share the narrative with images and places. And my mm. obviously my first place is Chile. Um, yeah. I was born and raised in true ministry. My mom and dad are still senior ministers of the church where I grew up. Um, it was really interesting to be a native from Chile and have um, American missionaries come over. Um, and it was a unique place. It was upper middle class in Chile. And um, there was a lot a lot to do with um, independence and also had to do with the idea of um, how missions should be played among Chilean people. Uh, so I learned a lot and I came to a ministry approach in the early on, very young. I also, for fun, I like to share that I went to culinary schools in Chile. Oh, when that's I was right. Yes, I forgot about that. Yeah. Um, so I have a, a technical degree in culinary school. Um, and I think that plays out in my formation a lot. Um, and it plays out a lot, especially when I think about ministry and I think about calling and profession and vocation. Um, I left Chile and I went to Texas. Um, in Texas, I learned um, the I look brown. I do have an accent and <laughs> I uh, do not, I did not speak English well. And I learned that there are people that are just like me that they don't speak Spanish at all. And I realized that um, now instead of be calling myself Chilean or from the metropolis of Santiago, I was being called Latino or Hispanic. And it was the first time that I ever encountered, what does that even mean? <laughs> and I learned that Hispanic and Latino is anybody who, anybody who is brown has an accent. Um, <laughs> so it was a new identity for me. I was like, oh, okay, I guess I'm Latino and the rest of South America and Central America, we're all in the same bag, even though we're completely different. Um, right. And also learned the, the religiosity of, of the religion, Christianity and self can be uh, very hard into communities, especially in, in Texas and South Texas. And that I learned about myself that I grew up in a very progressive or independent community of faith. And I realized that, yeah, I had no idea about hymns, neither 
how to read Rahim or <laughs> right. where the Rahim were located when I went to college. Um, and also, yes, I do wear shorts and sandals to Sunday morning. And I thought this is America, like the best <laughs> country that? ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so there was a lot of that in Texas and I loved, and also I encountered the best part of my life, which is my wife. I did an underground sacred literature. Um, at that point in my life, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I, to be honest, I wanted to be a youth minister, uh, because that was the coolest thing I ever saw in my life. I was like, you get to <laughs> hang out with youth people all day yes. long. Like I can do that. Um, so people ask me, what do you want to do with your life? I was like, I want to be a youth ministry. Mm-hmm. And then I realized like. I was pretty young to try to decide what I want to do with my life. And I did not know the church well enough here in America. I knew the church in my country, but not in the United States. Um, and after that, I was married, I married my, my, my partner, Denise. Um, and from there, uh, we decided to move to Tennessee. And uh, we found this little school where they give a scholarship for spouses. Yeah. And I told Denise, leave your job. Your nine to five, Monday to Friday, well-paid teaching job in South Texas, and just let's <laughs> go to East Tennessee where we have nobody, we don't know no one, and start a master's in divinity. And she looked at me and she said, why would I get a master? That take me four to five years where I can get a master in two and actually make money out of it. Good question. Yes. Um, it is. A good it question. is. Um, and then she decided to move anyway. So um, uh, we both did the Christian care and counseling and we came into our glorious time where our baby boy SG was two. Now he's seven, six, 15 years old. Um, and from there, we got a call to help some uh, church in Chicago. And we moved to Chicago and we've been here since 2017. And in 20, December of 2021, I stepped down from ministry, um, official ministry in the church. In the church yeah. And after four years of working as a pastor, I started as a worshiping ministry, uh, arts, worshiping arts. I moved into uh, lead it's not contingency. Um, what do you, that's the word when you're in the middle of positions and interim? you're good enough, but you're, you're not good enough. Uh, interim, interim position. <laughs> yes. Uh, so I was doing the year thing where you do all the work for the same thing mm-hmm. for the same amount for of less money. Pay. Or yeah. yeah, of course. Until they found the person they really like yeah. and then they, they, they get that person. Right. Um, yes. yeah. Um, and after much of reflection and time, I decided to step down from ministry and went back to my uh, official calling, I guess, or vocation, which is being a chaplain. I encountered chaplaincy in Emmanuel, and it's something that I fell in love. And I think it was finally a place where I can be, uh, where my personality and my type and who I am can really shine. Um, Instead of trying to be somebody in the church, that was always really hard. Um, I had a hard time being the center of attention. I had a hard time being in the pulpit every single Sunday. I had a really, really hard time uh, not be able to have a break. I think church is never ending. Um, And yeah, I think I can go on and on and on and on. And um, yeah, I think that's enough for now. (laughs) I also realized my pronouns on he and him. um, And I am very happy to be here i've been listening to your uh, podcast and it's very exciting so i'm pretty happy to be here i'm glad you've been listening yeah Yeah, that's great well if you could tell us why you chose ministry maybe 
a few of those times, I mean, maybe starting out, why you chose to go to Emmanuel even, and then uh, why you chose, you know, to go to Chicago, and then maybe also why you chose chaplaincy. Yeah, I think those are two pretty loaded questions um, that yeah. I can give an answer, hopefully make it entertaining enough for people to listen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I always tell this to people whenever I'm speaking, I do have an accent, yes. Um, and to me, it's super important to know that you're getting what I'm trying to say. Otherwise, I'm going to go back and repeat it and repeat it until I feel like, okay, they're getting That's it. Enough. So if you can yeah. give me like a thumb up or thumb down or or even yes. you can clap, whatever that is, whatever you need, <laughs> happy hands clap, I will be very appreciative so I can make my point and finish. Um, and I think I think your first question was why Emmanuel is that yeah, first- yeah, just sort of some of those big moments where you, you know, made a choice into the next kind of ministry. Yeah, I think big moments into the ministry um, are related to one event in my life, and I go back often. I was walking through the halls at Emmanuel, and I could hear Dr. Holland's voice, and you know, he has a very deep, deep voice. Yes, yes. Um, and I could, I remember her asking, this is not how it worded out. Uh, but remember, my English was very small at the time, and I was learning and cultural clashes and all this kind of stuff that was going through my life. And I was also pretty young. Um, and I could re- I could remember here Dr. Holland asking the question, you know, a lot of what we do at Emmanuel is help people understand where they, what are they going to do with their life. And to me at that moment, I was like, no, I want to be a youth ministry or I want to be a missionary in Chile. And then more that I reflect in my life, I realized like, yeah, that's a, that's that question like doesn't have an answer. Like, what do you want to do with your life? Um, and I think a lot of my big moment decisions was trying to identify like, what do I want to do with my life? I think moving from Texas and I think moving to Tennessee from Texas was one of the biggest leap yeah. of faith. Mm-hmm. I just married Denise uh, or baby boy was just born. I literally walked through the alley on graduation. I took out my Chilean flag, just like I did at Emmanuel. Yes. And then I came down the stage and I grabbed Sergio. He was in a stroller, in a, in a car seat. And I walked yeah. and we went to eat. And I was like, dude, I'm like super young, I'm super <laughs> early on. I've been in this country for very little time. I just graduated from college. I'm at like 100 pounds extra since I used to live in Chile uh, <laughs> because food and transportation are completely different. And I'm it here is. like trying to make life decisions decisions mm-hmm. um and i think i go back to dr holland at least in that time of texas where i didn't know like i didn't know what i wanted to do in my life the only thing i knew i just needed to have a higher education and emmanuel seems to be the right place and to be honest at the time we didn't know emmanuel was such a unique place and a special mm-hmm. place like we didn't know it was like i don't want to use the word progressive but at least in the context of christian church of church of christ where i grew up like yeah. mm-hmm. it was a lot of like oh dr ralston classes are the hardcore and they're shaking my foundation and literally i know now that i'm in an outside context of theology i'm like yeah that was that was really helpful like i'm, I'm so glad that the dr ralston was able to ask questions like yeah, the story that your mother taught you is not that emotional when it's read by another person and not your mother connected to it. Mm-hmm. So I think that's big moments for me go back to Dr. Holland question, like what I want to do in my life. And at that time, I didn't know. Uh, to be honest, I didn't know. I just knew I needed to have a master's degree, a master's in divinity, and my wife wanted to join. So I was like, well, two for the price of one, let's do it. Mm-hmm. And now I reflect back and I'm like, 
man, I wish somebody would have told me about students loan. Like, I, and I wish somebody would have told me, like, be careful because they're going to follow you the rest of your life. Um, and that was, as an international student, that was a nuance. It, it was like, I, w- I wish there was a warning on how to do your taxes, uh, talked about student loans, and how to change your brick pads in your car. That way you don't have to pay <laughs> $200 or right. something, at least mm-hmm. in East Tennessee. That goes also back when I graduated from graduated from my, uh, my MD in Christian Care and Counseling. I realized I changed my career. I was a MD, general MD. We went down to Chile to visit my family. Denise was hanging out with my friends. And my friends asked Denise, so what do you study? It's like, well, I'm studying Christian care and counseling. Oh, so you're going to be able to help people. And I was like, I guess I'm going to be able to help people. And then they asked me and I was like, oh, I'm doing a master's in divinity. And I was like, and what do you do with that? Like, yeah. are you going to make money out of that? I was like, that's <laughs> nope. no way. No, <laughs> no not at all. I should no. find the opposite. The answer is no. Yes. <laughs> and then from then, I think it was always starting to answer the question, like, what are you going to do with life? Until I faced chaplaincy. I think for me, chaplaincy was the, the groundbreaking place. With the church, I always struggle to have the ongoing interaction of like, I need to tell people what to do. People are looking at me. People are depending on me. And to me, it was like, I'm a number two in the Enneagram. I want to help people, yeah. but I don't want to tell people what to do. That's very tiring. It's just, and also I don't want anybody to tell me what to do. Um, that that was the, a groundbreaking when I was able to walk into a room and just sit with people and listen. And then I was like, okay, four years of much, well, mine was five years, not four. Five years of Masters in Divinity, a whole year of Greek, a whole year of Hebrew. Here's go to the door. I don't think I ever use that ever again, but sure, why not? Let's do yeah. it. Um, and it was fascinating to be able to really shine and really be able to say, as a number two in the Enneagram, I don't need to force myself or personality to be shining in the front of the stage. And also it was so tiring to think about I'm spending 40 hours a week for a four hour service, maybe a two hour service. And Mm -hmm. that's it. Like you have very little left. Um, Yeah. I think those are the big moments in white chaplaincy. Chaplaincy was the place where I could really find my calling and my vocation and say, you know what? I, I, I made for this and I feel really good at it. And sitting in a place of not knowing is, is fascinating. Um, yeah, I, don't, I think that's pretty much in a, in a, in a, in a nutshell what will be the, the white moments, trying to answer what to do with my life. Right. Um, and, and that's an ongoing answer. I think I'm still trying to figure out what I want to do with my life and how that um, percolate. I think this has to do with joy and be able to find what I find joy in it. And chaplaincy definitely is the place for me. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a question we have to keep asking ourselves. Otherwise we kind of yeah. can grow complacent or um, just kind of get used to doing the, doing the motions. Mm, yeah. So I, as you were kind of, I guess, discerning a little bit more about kind of what your own personal calling is, as you've kind of found your home in chaplaincy, how would you define vocation just in general? Um, and how has that changed over the years? You talked a little bit about sort of your progression of, of understanding what that means and or what that looks like. So how would you define that for yourself? Or if yeah, you were that's to a share- great question. I, yeah, 
I actually was going to ask you guys, where's your definition of vocation and calling? Because I heard most of all of your interviews and I still haven't been able to find the answer from any of you two. Um, so I don't want to flip it around, but if you feel comfortable, I would love to hear your <laughs> definition. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, that's the reason why we're doing this, just so we can get, I don't think there's any one definition. Um, I yeah, think that of course not. That's the important yeah. part is that so we, every, every guest that comes on here, we get a chance to, uh, a little bit nuanced, a little bit different, uh, yeah. Here's what their version is or their answer is or how it has meant, uh, what it's meant for them in their life. And I think also how it changes. So I do think that our definition or understanding of that, even for ourselves, changes depending on, you know, the the changes we go through in our lives, our experience, or where we feel like we're following God in our lives. You know, it kind of plays out in different ways. Yeah, I completely agree. I think... I can relate to that to something I learned from Dr. Holland. And by the way, I'm going to name Dr. Holland, Heather Holland, Pete <laughs> Mortar, and like all kinds of, all of these people. I just, they're I'm good sorry. People. Just That's a okay. Yeah, like I would too. So it's left okay. and right. Name, <laughs> the left and right. I already talked Heather. I sent out a text. I said, hey, I'm going to be talking about podcasts. Probably you're going to come up. Hopefully I'm not. <laughs> your name will come I'm up gonna, lots of times. I'm not going to curse your name before and after. I'll do my best to be a clean version. Um, I think, Dr. Holland talked about about um, like human documents, and at the time in my little English, I was like, "What are you saying?" <laughs> like, and and I think it was also another piece that I learned with Pete Morton. Pete Morton is actually uh, a Emmanuel friend. Um, he's one of the few white friends very close to me, um, and he I learned from him. Uh, I did an internship with his church before I did chaplaincy. And I think for me, it was one of the most healing experience when I realized, okay, church doesn't have to be an event on Sunday mornings. It mm. can actually look like community. Right. Uh, and that was a beautiful thing that I learned yeah. from him. Uh, he's a firefighter, lieutenant in Asheville. A lot of the things that I talk come from him. He probably will never talk to me if I say that I mentioned him or I uh, talked about him. Um, but I learned from him about like, the human living document perspective of people like we are constantly writing and rewriting our stories. I, I combine that with the the essence of calling and vocation. I think if you ask me, what is your calling at Emmanuel? I would have tell you right away, like, I want to be a missionary. I want to go back. Um, you know what? I apply. I'm not going to tell you where I apply, but I apply. And they flat out told me like, you're too much in debt and also you're overweight. So like, no, you won't be able to be a missionary. And mm. like, I, yeah, at that time, like, it hurt a lot. I was like, well, I guess I'm becoming an American. Uh, but other than that, I was like, I don't know what else to do. I, yeah, I do own a gun. I don't know what else, you know, cost of freedom, whatever. Um, and then, yeah, I was hurting. Cause like, so you're telling me by your standards, I won't be able to go to my own people and preach the gospel of my own people. Mm. Um, I'm glad that happened because I found chaplaincy. Uh, at the same time, if you ask me in Texas, like where, where you want to do, like, I want to be a minister. I want to preach the gospel. I want to tell people what to do. And I was struck by how much religiosity and the culture of Christianity was embedded in the culture and how safe and comfortable I felt that every registration was Christian. And I just felt like, this is almost like too much. Like I, I want some challenging. I want to be able to leave. I grew up in a big city. So I, I right. was always diverse, always different things. And Texas feel like this is just, you know, a breeze. 
And then now, like even now, if you ask me what I want to do with my life, like, yeah, I'm really, I'm really learning and trying to figure it out. I wish I can be a tablet educator and also I wish I can be some type of spiritual companionship person, some form of some kind. Mm-hmm. I'm just 37 years old. I'm just trying to figure out life and um, what it's going to be next. I think I'm grateful. I do uh, acknowledge that I'm a, a very privileged person. As a brown man with a strong accent, I like to use the word that I'm privileged because it strikes different people in different ways. Normally we understand privilege as a race and color. I think I'm a, I grew up in a very privileged position where the spirituality was an option for me. It wasn't embedded, um, where ministry was shown rather than, okay, this is what we do, or this is the family ministry, family business, I call it. <laughs> um, and then I think I'm also very privileged that I've been able to see them places in, in healthcare system where vocation and calling, they go through the door. I'm actually, I was preparing myself for this interview. I run it, the question to people in my office. Really? And mm-hmm. it's fascinating, fascinating. <laughs> First of all, I get this, this um, you know, I, there were two social workers and one child life specialties. And I asked, what is the difference between vocation and calling? And the child life and the social worker look at each other. I was like, okay, there's a lot of PTSD in there because I grew up Catholic and I'm not Catholic anymore. Yeah, and right. like, mm-hmm. Okay, okay, say more about that. Um, and they started saying, like, I think vocation and calling is a very spiritual context. And then another social worker was saying, well, as a strong a Christ believer and follower, I think this is what I do every single day. And I was like, okay, this is fascinating. Yeah. Like, I love to hear the question outside the, the bubble of the church or the seminary and how that connected. And then I flipped the question around and asked, so what is it that you do? Like you're willing and able to place yourself in trauma and life and death. I work for the protective services team. So anything that is trauma, uh, sexual abuse or abuse, trauma abuse, um, we are there. And I, I told him like, you're you're bedding rooms with murderers and their victims. And you're willing to put yourself in the middle physically. So what is that? If it's not or not a calling or a vocation, what is it? And their word, they were puzzled. They were like, I don't know how that connects to one another. Um, <laughs> for them, it was like, this is what I signed up for. Uh, this is my profession, my calling. And to me, I was like, I'm seeing through and through the spiritual care and your calling okay. and your vocation. It's just we're not connecting. We're not using the same language. Mm-hmm. And then one of the child left was able to share a little bit more and say, hey, one example. My husband works in uh, affordable housing, but he doesn't believe in affordable housing. Wow. And I was like, and his job to go to work is a painful situation every single day. So he's when he has a hard day at work, it's amplified like a thousand because he does not believe in what he does. And for me, as a child life specialty in emergency department, I get to be with grieving parents and kids who are afraid and kids who need support and also be the, the person who connects this infant to this complex medical team she's the breach and she's in there every single day going on and on. And for me, she's like, I make a lot less money, but I'm a lot more happy. And that's, I think that's the difference between vocation and calling for the, I guess, Bible culture Mm -hmm. and the non theological or company cultural. Then I asked that social, uh, the child life. I was like, so 
can you talk about joy? Like, how, is it any piece of joy for your husband, a person who wakes up every morning and has to work and have a job where he doesn't want to be at? It's like, no, there's no joy. There's no joy whatsoever. And I ask her, so what about you? Oh, I find joy in my job. I, even though I make a lot less money than him, I, I'm happy. very happy. I'm very fulfilled. Mm -hmm. I'm very happy. And I think that's for me, chaplaincy. Chaplaincy has been the place where I'm like, okay, I'm. this is what I do. I don't care if I get paid less. I don't care if I don't have, you know, all this vacation time and everything else that the church will give me. I'm, I'm very pleased and content and happy. And I need to be honest. I, I was privileged enough to apply for a job where it was to me the top. It was the, the end. This is top-notch ministry with fabulous people. And I, I realized, like, with all my heart, after much consideration and thinking, I'm like, this is not this is not what I want to do. I'd be failing myself, and I'd be failing the community who is trusting in me. And my calling is larger and bigger than actually this. And that was actually, for me, the, the eye-opening, where I was like, I need to get back myself to chaplaincy. That's where I'm at. That's where I need to be. The joy of not sitting in a place of not knowing and give people the power of finding words and meanings. It's just outstanding. Yeah. Am I answering the question? Yeah. Yeah. And great. actually, I think you, you started to answer my next question. You did. <laughs> um, so it's good. Yeah. Good um, start to, I was going to ask you, how have you struggled or maybe a better word is wrestled with those, you know, ideas of, of vocation or, or calling, um, which you, I feel like, you were talking about, you know, joy or maybe lack of joy. And that seems to be one of the answers to that question. But yeah, how would you talk about uh, doubts you had or wrestling or struggling with those ideas of calling and vocation for you? Yeah, so I'd be happy, excited to talk about that. Um, I do need to give a fair warning uh, for everybody who is in ministry, church ministry. I, I might be using some triggering words and what now I, I can share before I was four years into church and hmm, if you ask my wife um I think she will tell you probably those are the most four challenging years of my life I think I, I left chaplaincy in a place where um I left the JCNC you know sweet old Tennessee and <laughs> I, everybody knew me I knew everybody and it was sweet and nice I have more than 30 volunteers and seven CBA residents and I don't know how many interns and it was just like great and then I there was part of me who was constantly trying to answer that question of like what I'm going to do with my life I'm here I went all the way to the top already what else is to do and that's when I realized well what about ministry and all of a sudden when we get this call about helping in the north side of Chicago with a multi-ethnic, multi multiply diverse, open and affirming church. And to me, I was like the open and affirming was that who sold me. I was like, let's go, let's do it. Um, and obviously it was a compensation piece um, that uh, was very clear and I appreciate that a lot. And, and I realized like, okay, in the church world, there's this silence about compensation and how much am I worth and mm. how, how is that I think this is the only church that I feel okay they're, they're paying me for I'm worth and I feel it feels really good I feel appreciated mm. and I was also experiencing a time in my life I think I call myself very young and wild <laughs> and I realized I was looking into chaplaincy trying to find some color 
Like I was only painting with black and white, which is, you know, birth and death. And that was only what I see. Um, at the time, what I did not know is that, yeah, when you work with a in a training facility like JCNC, you you get to work with people who are being trained to be chaplains and they're being trained. They're getting paid for the study themselves and learn about themselves. And I just take it for granted. I, I didn't know that like working in yourself is a privilege and people mm-hmm. go to counseling. And yeah. mm-hmm. here I am doing a unit of CPE to say, man, that's really effed up. I just, that's, and that really stirred up something on me. And now I'm, I can really struggle and deal with it. And also had a really good group of chaplains. For goodness sakes, I was hanging out with her whole on like every <laughs> single day. I was eating breakfast. She was, I was eating oatmeal and she was eating this uh, cutter cheese and peaches and whatnot. And I was like, you know, I was living the dream and all of a sudden it just wasn't enough. And the question, what do I need to do? And then I called myself and I said, well, let's go to Chicago. Let's do this and let's do the ministry. And I play drums and I think I should be able to do manage. I, I manage an office. I should be able to manage a, a group of worship ministers and right. an open and affirming church and a church who opens and closes every single week and gave us a portable church. And we came over and started working and I was living the dream. It was really great until I realized like, like this is, this is not, not, no, the colors that I was looking for, they were not there. And I realized the, the, the black and white in the church, in the hospital where, where I went and needed to be. So I found my, find my way back uh, into chaplaincy, working overnight. I remember my first night working in a, in a hospital here in Chicago. It was quite the opposite of Johnson City, Tennessee. <laughs> Johnson City, Tennessee, it was like crowd control. Yeah. You know, grandma passing away, everybody showing yeah. up, mm-hmm. you know. You need to find smoke rooms and Mountain Dew cups and everything else. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yes. Here it was like, okay, your first training is going to be when somebody passed away and their loved ones are not around, they might come back three days later and you need to take into the morgue. And I'm like, what? oh, okay. It's like people die by themselves here in the city. I was like, yeah, that's pretty common. And sometimes they're decomposing when they're showing up in here. So I was like, okay, that's, that's something new and we, we will deal with it and we, we learn and we find the way. All that to say again and again and again that while I was, you know, doing my job, I think that's some of the questioning that I realized is like, I can, I, there's part of the job in ministry that I found very encouraging, like connecting to people and individuals knowing that the people that you're working in the church are not going to die within 24 hours or 72. Yeah. Uh, you can actually have a life. And a lot of people <laughs> from the church that I wish to work now are my closest friends here in Chicago. Um, and also the little joy of like, God, I don't need to do your funeral. Actually, I can be in your housewarming party and I can baptize you or uh, baptize you and also have, you know, your daughter being introduced to the church and whatnot. So all that to say, I think a lot of me, the struggle always came when I found myself not being happy in a place where I needed to be. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even though I was able to do the job, I was not able, there was no joy. And I think my joy, the lack of joy became a place where there was no vulnerability, where I was like, okay, I can do the job. You're paying me to do it. Fine. I do what I need to do. That doesn't mean I'm going to be invested or connected, but also I grew up in the church. So I know how to make it look like it. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was really empty in a Mm -hmm. way, in a way of like, 
if you take the paycheck away, I will probably be a lot more happier and I will be probably doing the same or even better job. But because there's a paycheck involved and also my wife and my family relate to that. Yeah. And I learned from my friend Pete, he says, whenever you're in crisis, your financials and your spouse are the two things that are going to hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the time in our marriage where Denise really lift me up and Denise was there to support me. And um, even though there was not a financial burden, but still I moved my entire family from, from Tennessee yeah. to Chicago. Yeah. So all that to say that I think that the pieces of not knowing where it was, I think took me to a place of settlement and I think settlements suck. Um, I, I think that's the bottom line. I think, yeah, you can do the job. It doesn't mean you're happy. Is Are you joyful? Are you fulfilling what you need to do? And also, what are you waiting for? Are you only got one life. Like, what are you waiting to do? What is going to be next when you know you have to get going and you know you're good at it? But at the same time, there's a pitching ball and you have no joy. All that to say, my youth minister, the people who I, the person who I was inspired to be a youth minister was in the elder board in this church. He knew me well enough. The uh, I call this the, a divine intervention. Mm-hmm. He knew me well enough that he probably could see through my soul and my eyes. And he was like, Sergio, you're not happy. How are you holding up? And I was like, yeah. well, I'm going to tell you this is how I'm holding up. And he said, it. okay, you're going to go in a sabbatical for four months. We're going to pay you, even though you're not working, do a sabbatical. You're going to take some counseling sessions. You're going to take a spiritual direction and we're going to pay you for a vacation. I think that was the most care love that I ever felt by the church ever. And I really wish that as a requirement for a lot of ministers out there to really take some time off, figure out your, excuse my language, figure out your shit around and Mm -hmm. learn who you are, what you want to do. And also do not be stuck. I think life is so short that it's just that you have to move on. Yeah, I think those are the moments at least in my life where I'm like, okay, I, I, I'm called for, for something. And I don't want to diminish the church in any shape or form. I strongly believe in the church. I think the church and I, we need to go to counseling, like a therapy, <laughs> counseling, yeah. a couple therapy counseling. Yes, definitely. <laughs> yeah. um, and kind of hush a few things about women's in ministry. Come on, dude, it's mm-hmm. 2022. Why are we wasting our time on this? It's just like, move on. Everybody yeah. else move on. You have definitely not. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and I can go on in the list, but maybe I'm not going to be invited to any more activities. <laughs> yeah. um, well, I mean, you, yeah. you've shared a little bit about, uh, you know, how you found sort of your purpose and meaning in the midst of all that struggle and kind of a, a way forward, um, renewed vision for how to move forward. So how do you now that you found yourself kind of on the other side of that and you're, you feel like you're living into sort of your vocation as a chaplain now and things look a little bit different. So you're not in crisis mode anymore and you've got a little bit different perspective. So what hopes do you have to share for like your future work or what are your hopes for the, for the church uh, and good work to be done in the future? Yeah, I like to, to, to think about hope and, and also the concept of dreams. I think some of my dreams I are the spiritual care providers, either chaplaincy or pastors or anybody who's providing care, understand and realize the work that you're doing is freaking heavy. The work that you're doing every single day to support and provide care to others, it, it is it is an overwhelming job and hopefully you get, are taking care of yourself. Second, I think my hope is also for everybody to have a, a sabbatical or some time off mm-hmm. and be valued and appreciated by their community. Yeah. Also understand that 
it's okay for people to not provide hope. I think a lot of my bitterness and also misunderstanding from the church in general was uh, I always have to play a part. And no, I think as a spiritual care providers, as pastors, ministers, chaplains, whatever, we're called to be in places where there's no hope. And that's fine. I think not everything has to end with a hymn or with a prayer. Not everything will fit with the Psalm 23. Mm. I think there's hope on me to think that one day we will be able to have the meaningful connection between people that work in ministry instead of fighting among each other. I think my hope is also to think about, yeah, there are people who are also stepping into horrible places and situations that they're not called to ministry, but they are there. And we're, we're not have to do everything as a minister, as a pastors. And also you don't have to have your, your shit, your shit together. You just need to be who you are and be in a place that you want to be. Also, my hope is that people who are, in this place of settlement, they feel they can move on and they don't have to wait for permission from anybody um, because settlement sucks. And I think inevitably when you work in yourself, you're gonna find your own traumas. I, again and again, um, if you, Dr. Holland and his book, Hope, and and, uh, he talks about in a few chapters about like uh, language and communications and the narrative of hope. I realized that uh, I was thinking, I grew up my entire life thinking we're only people who does good is ministry and it is not. Mm. I think ministers, we are called and we're challenged to be in difficult places. And the difference that I see between social work and child life and chaplaincy is that social work and child life are in a place to provide hope. I think as a minister, we can be in a place there's no hope and that's okay. I think Christianity is a place where we can handle no hope. And last but not least, I want to call my good friend Pete Morton. And Pete always talked about the gospel himself and then the, the renewal and our spirit. And he came out with this quote that has been some of my very healing process coming out of the church that oftentimes we look at Christianity or the gospel or spirituality for a place to find answers. Mm-hmm. And for me, chaplaincy is quite the opposite. For me, chaplaincy yeah. is considered a place of not knowing, asking open-ended questions, and yeah. go ahead and read the Dr. Holland book, and he's not paying me for this. I was say, that's a, a shameless <laughs> plug there. I, cook with, I, I keep it in my bag all the time. Mm-hmm. This is called um, Stories of Hope uh, okay. by Dr. Holland. It's kind of blurry. Anyways, you can get it on Amazon. If you don't like it Amazon, you can buy it from himself. <laughs> and I think I grew up, and I think a lot of people... And I say this with, with a lot of authority because my dad is a minister, my brother is a minister, mm-hmm. my uncles are ministers, and I have a bunch of friends who are in church. We oftentimes look at the gospel to find answers to our questions. Mm-hmm. I think we need to learn that we can look at the gospel, we can look at scripture, and instead of looking for answers, we need to find a place to ask questions. I think the gospel is a place where we can find questions, where we can bring our doubts, we can bring our suffering, we can bring our concerns. Aaron Weimer taught us about God's shoulders are so big and why that he can take our bitching. He didn't use the word bitch, by the way, <laughs> but I added for some Latin flavor. Sure. Um, and I think that's, to me, the essence. That's more my hope, that people can truly be free and 
and move on into a place where they're happy. Um, again, I think there are prices. I think life has prices and pain is inevitable and um, you will leave, you learn, um, but also you you will find power in the vulnerability process of knowing that you don't have it all figured out, but you will learn That's what true. you need to learn. Um, I think, and I wanna stop after this. I think Pete also says that, or trauma or pain or suffering is the gateway, gateway for healing. Mm-hmm. And I think okay. I, when I look into that and I reflect when I walk into patient's room and I have to put their babies into body bags and take it to the morgue, to me, I feel I'm standing in doorway. This is the doorway for you to make meaning. And if you happen to be Christians and you look at scripture, maybe you're not gonna find the answer where your 10 month old baby is dying but maybe you will find a place where you can ask questions. And I think hopefully Christian and spiritual care providers can provide that to other people, see it in a place of not knowing. I think meaningful connections are so important. And oftentimes words make really little differences when people are in grief. That's a very heavy question. It was. Very long answer, yeah. No, it's good, it's very good. I think part of what you're saying at the end is just that healing often involves healthy grieving right um Mm -hmm. yeah and that that's really important and also what your work in you makes me think of uh which i'll come back to at the end but just is the good work of blessing people through your presence you know that ministry of presence um and being with them and just the importance of what that looks like to bless it like you said it doesn't have to be even with words right but um, but there's lots of ways to help invoke that blessing with people in the midst of mm-hmm. whatever they're going through and dealing with life circumstances. Mm-hmm. Uh, wanted to ask you a question about what do you think of as far as discernment in your life, you know, moments of discernment, or uh, if you have any examples of, of times like that, or whether it's recent or in the past, but how do you go about discernment or making decisions, but just discerning things in your life? Yeah. When I read that question, I thought about my patients. Um, <laughs> and oftentimes um, I face myself with people asking me, what do you think? Or what mm. would you do? Mm-hmm. It's like, I would probably be losing myself. We have to decide to take my kid out of a life supporting machine. I, I think it's just, difficult. I, what I often suggest to my patients and families and co-workers is it's, it's it, I think trust your gut. I think trust your heart, trust your feeling, trust knowing that whatever you do, you're the only person who's going to put your pillow, your head in your pillow at night and you're going to make yourself to sleep. Either you're drunk and piss yourself on it or you're taking a ton of medication. Either or to your choice. I'm not complaining i'm just saying that's what it is um and i think by the end of the day i think that will be the important piece it's like just remember is that you are the only person that by the end of the, by the end of your life will go back um i often realize like information is power i think some of the information comes from like knowing your options knowing where you are i like i said before heather holland pete morton Dr. Hollins and a, a lot of other people, I, I often, I reach out a lot. It's like, hey, can we, can we talk? Can we do this? And I run things by it. Um, also, I realized that life is so sure that 
a lot of people have been running through this and and you give in you give it a try i think for me i can sleep well tonight not because i take in anxiety medication and all that <laughs> stuff but uh, i can sleep well because i give it a try to church and and to me i learn about myself that yeah i was you know because my, my grandpa my grandma and my dad and my uncle and everybody in my family with ministry i needed to give it a try and i give it a try and i did my best and i succeed i feel the church is still going and it's powerful and yeah. the people that need to be there still there. And I, I, I don't, I don't regret. I did. I realized it was a cost and I, I pay for that cost mm. of knowing that that was not my place to be. Right. Um, but I, by the end of the day, I made the decision of saying, I'm going back to chaplaincy. I'm going to make a lot less money that I used to make in the church. And it's sad to say that ministry is related to money, but you know what? The entire world outside the church is how it works. Um, now, if you ask me, what is your job at chaplaincy? Yeah, I, I'm with family, but my biggest job is to deal with team members who are leaving, who are feeling unhappy, who are feeling that COVID really took it to a place where they're yeah. wondering, is this really what I want to do? Do I want to spend my entire life doing this? No, and they're moving on, and they're going to places where they have a limited PTO. They're going to places where they're getting a lot more pay. They're going to places where they feel valued and appreciated. And I think the church needs to update on that. I hope the church is getting this. If there's a number and an email, I'd be happy to write a letter uh, to the churches <laughs> in general. Um, but I think for me, that's the bottom line. Just give it a try. And if it doesn't work, you will be able to step back in and um, there is option. Again, this is for a male perspective. I'm a privileged person. I'm privileged right. to call myself a male in the world that often jump in ministry is defined by genitalia. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As whether we're talking about ministry in, in the church or in chaplaincy or wherever as a school teacher, what sort of encouragement do you have for people who are in ministry and or suggestions for them and how to stay open to God's leading and direction in their life? It's hmm. a good question. All of your questions are good, by the way. Um, <laughs> you shall become a chaplain. Uh, <laughs> you can actually be a volunteer chaplain at JCNC. Mm -hmm. Probably Heather Holland would have loved you to death. Um, I've been reflecting a lot lately about what do I need to unlearn instead of learning. I mm -hmm. think a lot of uh, Christian culture is all about what is the new trends and what is the new thing and how do we move on and this is what you need to do, this is what you need to do. I realize maybe the questions of asking yourself and what is next or what do I need to learn is actually what do you need to unlearn mm -hmm. to be able to be happy, to be able to be fulfilled, to be able to be joyful. I think I needed to unlearn in ministry that yeah, my mom and dad maybe are not going to like that I'm not a pastor. I am a reverend and I do have endorsed and in ordination and I'm finishing my board certification and I have all this credit stuff. But yeah, uh, maybe mom and dad are not going to be happy with that. And I, I can talk to them and that's fine and that's okay. And instead of, again, asking what do we need to learn is what do we need to learn? I think we're going to be able to be a lot more free, um, especially when you come to the place of suffering and places of grief. I oftentimes think about our LGBTQ plus siblings where they are in a place of seclusion and not being understood but by uh, us, the Christian community in general. And I, I think 
why do I need to unlearn to be able to love, to be able to accept, to be able to see, okay, this is actually my negative toxic masculinity who is making up unconscious biases about this LGBT siblings. And that to me is pretty heavy work. I think yeah. that enough in self is something that I will encourage all of us. And I'm not one to just place our LGBT civilians. I think it comes for race. I think it comes from when we talk about Black Lives Matters and when we talk about abortion and males, male making decisions for female bodies and yeah. the list goes on and on and on and on. And by the end of the day, it's like we are the person who are being called to serve in love when we are actually using religiosity and faith to hurt people. And we are dividing and we're putting a line where we can actually be doing the opposite, which is meeting people where they need to be met and uh, providing a listening ear and providing a place where they can feel comfortable and accepted. And isn't that what Jesus did? But I think the church in general is so far from it. It just really hard for for me to to see a place where i can say oh this is really making a difference and i think that start with yourself that start with the question what do you need to learn to be able to set people what do i need to learn about the god that is calling us to be together that now i need to impose all kinds of rules and regulations and also understand that god maybe doesn't speak english that would be a good one um, start there that's a great place yeah. to start right. yep. um and i think that would be a worth i guess time to to consider and i would love to to check and chat with people and, and talk about this that's why yeah. what will be next for me what will be encouraging i love chaplaincy i want to continue to do that but also like I would love to open the space like for spiritual. I don't like direction, but I think I love companionship. I think yeah. I would love to experience companionship to meet people where they are and kind of use some of the trainings and muscles that are used in the hospital outside the setting, especially because I was in ministry. I was in church and I know how isolated it can be. I know how difficult it can be. I know how isolated. And I think the biggest voice that you have going on in your mind is yourself. And that sometimes can be very violent and it can be very, very dismissive uh, when you don't have a soundboard to talk about it. So I think hopefully for people who are listening and they're wondering um, what is next, maybe you need to ask, what do you need to unlearn? And yeah, what are the things that when you are learning, you will take you to a better place. Yeah. That's a great question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wonder why you two need to learn. I know. I'm going to have to think about it. <laughs> That's going to have to be a second uh, yeah. episode. <laughs> right. I'll probably we'll follow take that a one few. Up. So. I get paid for listening. Yeah. So <laughs> call me up. Yeah. Um, I get paid for being a nice guy. Why not? That's great. I went to school for that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, as I was preparing a little bit for this time with you, I just kept thinking a lot about blessing for some reason. Uh, mm. When I thought about you and about the work that you do, I mean, both in chaplaincy, but just about you specifically. And I just wanted to kind of share a few things from this book that is about, it's called To Bless the Space Between Us. Uh, I don't know if you've, (laughs) do you have that one? Actually, I have a copy on my bookshelf and I just saw a new chaplain. If you're running out of things in the middle of a grieving family, Bring place to go with you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, great. <laughs> well, yeah, so I thought about you and uh, just the good work of blessing and what that looks like, what that means. 
the fact that we don't know what's coming towards us or why our lives certain takes take certain shapes or things like that. Um, and the fact that we enter into these spaces with people in ministry and in chaplaincy or different things and that we are there to bless others mm. and what that means, what that looks like. Um, mm. The fact that, so I'm just going to read this part, but it says, regardless of how we configure the eternal, the human heart continues to dream of a state of wholeness, a place where everything comes together, where loss will be made good, where blindness will transform into vision, where damage will be made whole, where the clinched question will open in the house of surprise, where the travails of a life's journey will end in a homecoming. To invoke a blessing is to call some of that wholeness upon a person now. And so that is our prayer and our hope is that Mm. we invoke blessing, that we call some kind of wholeness upon those we meet by the grace and wholeness of God. And I just think of that when I think Mm. of you. Thank you. Um, Mm. And I wanted to just read this one blessing uh, sort of for you, but for all those who are listening and for those that you work with too, because I know that the work in the ministry that you do is to care for those around you, both in the hospital, but those who work there as well. So this blessing is for equilibrium. Like the joy of the sea coming home to shore, may the relief of laughter rinse through your soul. As the wind loves to call things to dance, may your gravity be lightened by grace. Like the dignity of moonlight restoring the earth, may your thoughts incline with reverence and respect. As water takes whatever shape it is in, so free may you be about who you become. As silence smiles on the other side of what's said, may your sense of irony bring perspective. As time remains free of all that it frames, may your mind stay clear of all it names. May your prayer of listening deepen enough to hear in the depths the laughter of God. Amen. 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 Thanks for joining us and hanging out, Sergio. It's been good to see you again. Yeah, great to see you both, and thank you for having me. I hope I'm not bringing you much trouble. Um, and if so, let me know. I'd be happy to help. <laughs> <laughs> That's no, all right. no trouble. It's all good. We'll, we'll take your kind of trouble any day. <laughs> good, good. Thank you so much for having This has been amazing. I really appreciate it. Um, and I hope and I wish the same way you bless me. I'll bless you both. And I hope you both and everybody who's listening can find the difference in the differences between self-care and self-compassion and work a little bit into that. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much.